we want to thank you for answering prayer and working in hearts and lives. And Lord, we thank you for uh, what you're doing. And Lord, we just thank you for the encouragement of, uh, of the recent meeting and seeing and working together with many other churches to reach the goal of the offering. And Lord, uh, your great supply there. We just want to thank you for safety on the road and others that traveled. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for all the work that you do in our lives, answering prayer, keeping us safe. Uh, Lord, just giving us strength to continue serving you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, kids. The rest of us, let's turn to Luke chapter 19. And uh, this morning, that was actually Matthew chapter 19, not 20, uh, the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, uh, I was looking at it, and uh, it's on the same page as Matthew chapter 20, which is probably why my fingers just put 20 down. And I do apologize for that. I hate to not be able to find scriptures looking right at the verse, but just could not see it. But uh, Luke chapter 19 and uh, this is one of the more unusual parables that uh, Jesus uh, taught. And understand something, we're not starting a series on the parables necessarily uh, tonight, but just by way of review, the parable is a form of teaching uh, that belongs only to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, people say, well, Aesop's fables, well, fables are not parables. Uh, fables use uh, animals and things and have them talking that parables do not do. Parables are real, possible life events. But here's what makes Jesus' parables different than anything else. As Jesus would teach the parable, the exact same words would take those who had faith in Jesus Christ and open their minds and make things more simple and draw them closer to Jesus. And at the very same time, in the same crowd, hearing the same words, those that had rejected Jesus were being pushed farther away from Him. And I want to challenge you that only, only Jesus could master the words in such a way to get such uh, incredible results with both groups of people at the very, very same time. And uh, uh, this points toward the power of, of Jesus as God, as the great teacher. Uh, I love to read, uh, especially later, the, the last week uh, before Christ was arrested and crucified, how that he just confounded uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests of the temple and just had them literally... Uh, uh, gnawing on their own teeth and, and screaming uh, at him in the dark. And at the very same time, those who wanted the truth were being drawn closer and given more understanding. And this one is what we call the parable of the pounds. And we start in verse 11. And as they heard these things... Now, what were the things that they heard? This was the story of Zacchaeus. You see, the triumphal entry is just a few days away. Jesus was headed to Bethany. He would get there Friday afternoon before the Sabbath. He rested Friday afternoon. The Sabbath was over. Sundown 
on Saturday. That's when they had the feast at Simon the leper's house where Jesus was anointed by Mary with the spikenard. And then Sunday, Jesus uh, went through the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem and was proclaimed as the Messiah. Now, Jesus knew these things were just a few days away. And he also knew the expectations of the people. And so, we, as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Now, this is not always the case that Jesus gives us the main point of the parable before he tells the parable. Many times he just says, hear the story, and then after the story is told, he would gather his disciples and explain to them the importance of this. Luke here, as he is uh, writing this, he is giving us the point. The number one is they were close to Jerusalem. Number two is they expected the kingdom of God to immediately appear. Now, there's a few things they didn't understand, and this includes the disciples. They didn't understand the cross, that Jesus had to suffer to pay the price for our sins, that before all of these things could happen, God had to set free the captives of all history, held captive by our own sin, imprisoned by our own wrong choices and disobedience, and they didn't understand the church age. Uh, someone writing about prophecy and the Bible said uh, it's kind of like standing on a mountaintop and you give a prophecy and you can see the top of the next mountain. The only problem is you can't judge the valley in between. And uh, many times that is uh, in the Old Testament and Isaiah will have references to uh, Jesus' first coming, his suffering, uh, on the cross, and in the same uh, verse, we'll have references to the coming kingdom. And so, in the Jewish mind, they pulled those two events together and thought that everything was going to happen exactly at this time. And so, Jesus is giving us a story to help us understand that the kingdom of God was not immediately going to appear. And honestly, if there is any part of Jesus' teaching that have an incredible importance to you and I today, oh, hey, here we are. Because we are stuck at the gap in the middle between Jesus as he walked this earth nearly 2,000 years ago and the kingdom which has yet to be developed and come. We, we are waiting. And so this parable applies to us more than uh, many other passages of the Bible uh, And so, here we come down, and here's the parable, starting in verse 12. And he said, therefore, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. How many of you already see the parallels to the ministry of Jesus Christ? That he went into a far kingdom to receive, uh, I mean, a far country to receive a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants, and delivered them ten pounds, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Now, uh, my Bible's got a little note here that says, 
Uh, a pound is 12 ounces and a half, uh, which according to five shillings, the ounce is three pounds, two shillings and six pence. And, of course, that's English money. But uh, we, we have to understand here that the, um, the amount of money was very different than our modern money here. A day's wages was a penny. Uh, a silver coin of one ounce was roughly, uh, it, it works out to roughly be a hundred pence, whereas a talent was only a hundred and sixteen pence, hundred and sixteen days wages. So this was not a, a sultry sum of money. This, this was a great amount, a hundred days wages, uh, roughly uh, a third, a little over a third of a year's wages he delivered to each of his servants. If you were wanting to follow uh, a pattern that is still in the Jewish community, they, uh, you're supposed to be given enough income to be set up in a business at least uh, once, if not two or three times, uh, uh, giving you an opportunity for failure if you fail after so many times, then they're not going to help you anymore. But uh, this tradition is still in certain communities. And so the, the, the nobleman gives to his ten servants each one pound, and he tells them, occupy till I come. Now that word occupy uh, is still very much uh, in use in our modern day understanding. We'll have uh, an army will come in and will take over a certain area, and they will. It's called occupied territories. Uh, it's amazing how the UN still hasn't figured out that the West Bank, uh, the Gaza Strip, and other of these uh, places they still call them occupied territories though they were won in war over 30 years ago. Um, uh, and it's just part of the world hatred for, for Israel and uh, those things. But this is what the Lord told them. Occupy. You're, you're to take these things. You're to control it. You're to rule over it. You're to trade. You're, you're to do what needs to be done here. Now, verse 14 says, But his citizens hated him, and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Can I ask you a question? Did that message change anything? Uh, do you, I mean, we, we have a governor that's exactly the opposite in New York State, if you want to bring it up. He wants all of us Christians who believe in the Bible to leave New York State and leave him alone so he can do all the rotten things that he thinks are righteous. And uh, we're not leaving and I don't think he's leaving, and uh, so we'll just uh, continue the fight. Amen? Uh, we'll keep moving here. And the, this king had no intention of giving up his uh, uh, kingdom to, or this part of his kingdom to the citizens. But I do want to ask you a question as we're going through. The message didn't change anything. But could it afford the servants an excuse for possibly not serving to their fullest extent? Ooh. You know, Jesus put details in the story for reasons. 
he, he wants us to understand that, hey, the, these things could really, really happen the way it is. In verse 15, And it came to pass when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good servant. Well, thou good servant, I'm sorry. Because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Now, this is a pretty harsh parable, is it not? But... What is a king to do with subjects that are in open rebellion against him? Uh, he, he cannot uh, just allow this. So let's just work our way through here. And remembering the point of the parable is these people thought that the kingdom should appear immediately. And Jesus was trying to teach them that the kingdom of God was not coming anytime soon. Would not come in their lifetimes may not come in our lifetime. Certainly my pastor, Brother Thompson, thought the Lord was coming before he would die. But he did. He did walk through that door, and he is on the other side of eternity now, waiting for Jesus to come when we will all be brought together again. The kingdom has yet to appear, and it could appear just a little over seven years from today. Should Jesus return today for the church, the events of the book of Revelation would happen in the seven-year tribulation. And then Jesus will set up his kingdom on this earth. The noble man, of course, is Jesus. He has gone on a long journey to a far country. Uh, I don't think you can get any farther from earth than heaven. Amen? And he has been there for a long time. And he has given to his servants what they need to serve him. Uh, preached about that this morning. And he told them to occupy till I come. You are to take what Jesus has given you and do something with it. Uh, as one preacher said, we are not to sit on our blessed assurance and do nothing. We are to have some uh, 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 activity here. And you'll notice that only three of the ten servants were judged. Might I suggest Jesus was trying not to be tedious by repeating things over and over and over again in the story. He took three as a summary here, and this is part of the parable. 
the first man had gained ten talents, meaning he had a total uh, of eleven pounds, uh, not talents, pounds at this time. He took the original, he invested it, he had the return on that of ten times, a thousand percent, I think that's what it works out to be. That, that's a pretty good return. Uh, they don't get that kind of return on Wall Street ever. And uh, uh, here we have, and the Lord says, you're going to be over ten cities. Now remember, all these servants were in one household, and now this one servant is going to be promoted to be ruler over ten cities. The next one comes, he's gained five, he's done half of the increase that the first one did, He's given five cities. The last one comes up. That is to be judged in our parable, the third one. And he returns to the master what the master gave him in the first place. And he says, you're an austere man. I'm scared of you. You know, I have found out that fear is often... A great excuse. But I, I wonder if this servant here wasn't of the mindset that it, even if he does return, he's not going to be my king anymore. The people have sent a message uh, refusing his authority, and he's going to leave and take his kingdom, and he's never coming back. I mean, this was the mindset of the Jewish people in the temple. They believed that they owned the Word of God, and they owned the relationship with God, and if you were going to get uh, in touch with the God of the Bible, you had to come through them. That's why they were amazed when Jesus stood up and read the law, never having attended their schools. And so, we, we have this last fellow here, and the... Uh, the Lord judges him. He said, I'm going to judge you out of your own mouth. He said, why? You, you know that I am not a man that goes out in the field and sows my own seed. I am not uh, a pulper. I am not just one of those guys tilling my own soil. I have people working for me. And he was gently reminding him, you are one of those people who was supposed to be working for me. I gave you a sum that you could have invested. You could have at least taken it down to the bank and, and, and gained some interest. Uh, apparently, the rates were better in that day than they are in this day. Uh, right now, you're only getting about, what, one-half of one percent or something like that on savings. But at least it's something. This man produced nothing. And so the Lord's solution to this problem was to take the pound from the man that only had, had gained nothing and give it to the guy who had gained ten pounds. Does that sound fair to you? That's what the servant said. Lord, that's not fair. He's already got ten. Are we going to... And Jesus makes one of the most misunderstood statements in the Bible. By the way, there's a lot of really misunderstood statements in the Bible. He that hath is going to be given in abundance, and he that hath not is going to lose even that which he seemeth to have. You see, if we'll stop and think about this, and by the way, the rebellious citizens, those that had sent the message, had signed their own death warrants and were slain because they refused the rule of, 
of the king. And so, we live in a world where Jesus has gone on a long journey. We are His servants. We are small in number compared to all of the citizens that live in this world. And how many people in this world have sent a message loud and clear to the King of kings and the lords of lords that they will not have Him reign over them? Boy, I'll tell you, modern, uh, we are right up to date with our old-fashioned Bible. Amen? And yet... We come in under this idea of being servants. Now, you'll notice here that this is different than the parable of the talents where different amounts were given to different servants. Here, everybody is given the same amount. Even the unprofitable servant. People have tried to take this parable and teach that you can lose your salvation. Uh, I want to challenge you, that's not what you have. This man never had it. He never had it because he never used it. And I want to quote a verse here out of, out of uh, Titus 2.11, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to whom? Unto all men. This, this pound, and if I use the word talent by mistake, please... Uh, understand it's been quite a arduous week here, and I'll try to get uh, get all my words straightened out before next week. But the pounds that were given is a symbol of the grace of God that is given to every man. You see, there's lots of people who claim to be servants of Christ that are not servants of Christ. In the in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount by saying, There'll be many that say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. And what's Jesus going to say? He says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew thee. So just because you're in the house, just because you claim to be a servant, just because you're with the group, doesn't mean you're saved. But God gives grace to every man in the same amount. You have to make a decision what you're going to do with it. And... As we occupy, as we take that grace that God has given to us, we ought to be doing something with it. Something ought to be happening in our life. Our salvation ought to produce something. Uh, Martin Luther, I I love to criticize him. There's just so much to criticize. uh, Because many people look up to him. Oh, he was a reformer. He set us free from Rome only to be bound with the slavery to the Lutheran church. He was not a a freedom giver. He was just a different type of slave master. He was a little kinder maybe than the armies of Rome and the stake and the Inquisition. But Luther made sure that his enemies somehow founded too the Roman Catholic stake and were taken in the Inquisition. He, He was no friend of a true believer in the gospel. He did not want to even translate James chapter 2 into his Bible because of its connection between faith and works. Because he, in his perverted and poor understanding of the Scriptures, 
thought that the Bible was endorsing the Roman Catholic teaching that your salvation comes by your works. Nothing could be further from the truth. James chapter 2 says, if you have living faith, it's going to produce living works. If you have living faith, it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, maybe it's not alive. And if it's not alive, maybe you're not going to heaven. That's a pretty fearful thought now, isn't it? And, and I, want to, I want us to look at two main passages of Scripture. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, if you would. And this parable on the pounds is, is one that will make, uh, I, do, I believe, these passages much, much more clear and simple to understand. Philippians chapter 2. Now look at verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that sound like occupied till I come? I, I hope it does to you because it does to me. Uh, that's, what Jesus, that's what the nobleman in the parable told his servants. And Paul was telling the Philippians that you are to work out your own salvation. That does not mean that you're trying to negotiate a deal with God to get you into heaven. But you are to take that grace that God has given you, that salvation that God has given you, and you are to make it work out in your life. You're supposed to be doing something with that. Look at verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Here's what Paul's telling the Philippians. I brought to you the message of the grace of God, the message of salvation. You have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Philippian jailer. Now I want you to take that faith in Christ and do something with it. Because there is coming a judgment day where we're all going to stand before Christ and Paul says, I want to be able to stand tall in the day that the Philippian church is judged by Jesus because they took their salvation and they did something with it. Occupy till I come. Do something with the salvation that God has given you. But who is the one that really does something with it? God does. Amen. For to will. How many of you have ever done something because it was right to do and you just didn't want to do it, but you did it because you sh should do something? Somebody say, yeah, that was church this morning and tonight. No, I hope not. But the truth of the matter is we're always doing things that we really don't want to do because they're right to do. God will take care of that choice in your heart. Uh, I remember years ago, uh, Sarah was talking and and she was very concerned over the person that she was going to marry someday and said, well, well Dad, what, what if he's ugly? And, uh, and, and I tried to gently remind my daughter that, listen, if it's God's will, he won't be ugly to you. 
And every once in a while when I'm with her, I say, well, what do you think of that husband? Oh, he's the most handsome thing in the world. I don't know about that, but uh, no. Chad is a great son-in-law. And he is preparing for the ministry. But I'll tell you this. There is a young lady that is enthralled with the husband that God provided for her. And you will be pleased with God's will if you will only get involved. You have to obey. You know, sometimes those feelings don't come because God doesn't want you to make decisions based on feelings. He wants you to make decisions based on His Word, based on the grace that is in His Word. I don't know how many people over the years have said, Pastor, I just don't feel the, uh, the need to be a member of a church. Oh, really? Uh, well, I'm not interested in your feelings. I'm interested in your obedience to the Word of God. And the Bible tells us if we're going to serve Him, we're going to serve Him through a local church. There is no other place to serve Christ. In fact, this was part of the ongoing conflict there at community as we work to reorganize the church and just simply said, listen, it's not about what you feel. It's about being obedient. And, and every time I make this statement, I can usually feel, even in, in this auditorium at times, a little bristle. You cannot be right with God unless you're right with the local church. It, it's not possible. Because God insists that those who serve Him in this dispensation, in this age of grace, do so through and under the authority of a local church. It sounds like to me, occupy till I come. Do with what I have given you. All you have to do is obey. I remember I was only 16 years old and... Praise the Lord, I had a pastor that cared and, and, and wanted me to serve the Lord. And so he called, I didn't know this until years later, he called in the assistant pastor and basically said, sick him. He, he said, I want you to stay on this young man. I want you to make him involved in every ministry. Next thing I knew, I had people asking me about serving on a bus route and in children's church and all these different places. And and I like to say I got on a church bus in Carroll County, Maryland and ended up in the pulpit in a church in New York City. How in the world that happened? Uh, we'll just let that to the Lord. Amen? But I, I'll promise you, uh, I could not have improved on the journey except for the fact of maybe being more obedient to Jesus Christ. Let's look at one other passage very quickly and we'll try to finish up. Uh, if... These verses are, are, have been just special verses to me. First Peter chapter 4, and God has spoken to me as a very young man, and I still go back and review these verses on my own. Someone, uh, uh, people have said, well, what about a life verse? Well, these would actually be my life verses, verses that have guided everything in my life that... Uh, God has just uh, put special import here. Verse 10 of chapter 4, it says, As every man hath received the gift. Does that sound like everybody gets the same thing? 
Uh, it is. That's exactly what it's talking about here. As every man hath received the gift, a specific, unique gift that is given to every man, just like the Lord, the nobleman gave the ten servants each a pound apiece, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Take what God has given you and use it to help someone else. Whether it's giving them a gospel track, whether it's opening the Bible, whether it's just praying for someone. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now, what that's simply saying is if you're going to talk, if you're going to communicate, you should communicate what God would have you to communicate. Does that always happen? Well, read James chapter 3. The tongue is the greatest evil in this world to tame. And if we're going to occupy, if we're going to take God's grace and do something with it, it ought to affect what comes out our mouth. Amen? If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. My, my prayer when I came to New York City was simply this, that God would do something that only he could take credit for. And uh, I think the Lord has answered that prayer to a great degree, but my prayer is uh, he hasn't come yet, I'm not dead yet, so there's still some occupying yet. Amen? And, and uh, we, we need to continue to move forward. God gave, Jesus gave this parable to explain to you and I how we ought to behave until our nobleman, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns from his far country and he will judge us on how we serve him. He has given to every one of us. People say, well, you're, you're a pastor. You have so many gifts. Uh, you don't know me when I was 17 years old. And it's really a good thing. Because if you knew me back then, you would never respect me as your pastor. Uh, uh, it was just, I, I couldn't even preach a five-minute sermon before I left for Bible college. And when I graduated Bible college, I'd managed two five-minute sermons and one seven-minute sermon in four years of Bible college. And I'm still a little bitter about that. Uh, I was going to Bible college to prepare for the ministry, and I do not feel that I was prepared for the ministry in the way that I should. Certainly not the way. Our students that go to Heartland are prepared for the ministry. I was 10 years pastor of this church before I could hold a candle to our uh, new graduates at Heartland. And uh, that's because they're doing things right at Heartland. And I'm sorry, I just came from there and just rejoicing over the things the Lord has done. But I'll tell you, you see, what Heartland does, one of the reasons I support the school and recommend it, if you want training for the ministry. Uh, we were talking with one other pastor. He says, well, I recommend Heartland. I said, it's the only, he said, it's the only school I recommend for ministry training. I said, I agree 100%. He said, I said, I tell all my kids, I said, uh, it's your choice, but if you choose anything other than Heartland, you're wrong. And, and uh, uh, if you're training for the ministry. Listen, Heartland takes what we do here and exposes our students at, at the college there. And I say our because we have a part in what goes on there. 
you, you get exposed to little tiny churches, big city churches. Little tiny churches in the big city like ours, amen? And there are some great churches uh, down there in, in Texas and Oklahoma and Ohio. Uh, I mean, it, it's just amazing what happens when all these churches get together. I need to be reminded that there's a lot more going on in some churches than is going on in our church. And those churches need to be reminded that there are some smaller struggling churches that they need to be in prayer for. Amen? And we all need to be reminded that we're serving God. We're occupying till He comes. We do what He's given us. That is working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? If we're going to minister, if we're going to do things, and I will tell you, I, 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 am, I, I am glad as the pastor of this church, I'm not ashamed of what's going on at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Praise the Lord with what's happened. In fact, I met Brother Reasoner. Uh, he uh, is now working in Vancouver, was in Russia for, for many years, but because of health issues and things, he had to come back, and he's working, trying to start a Russian-speaking church in Vancouver, Washington. And, and he just, he said, I just want to talk to you. He says, you pastor like a missionary. Oh, okay, well, I thought that's what pastors were supposed to do. I thought that's what missionaries. He said, but not everybody does that. Well, listen, we're, we're going to occupy. The reason I'm able to do what I do is because you let me. We've had to take a lot of attention away from our church here to make union so they could open their doors again. And community. So we could see something happen there and put a pastor in who will actually be able to pastor a church instead of a bunch of people who wanted their own way. It's been a tremendous struggle. And if I had a choice, I'd rather build union than, than uh, fuss with people. But uh, the Lord has his purpose, and he is doing uh, his thing. And uh, I think the people, when Andrew told him he wanted to be the pastor, wanted to have the vote this morning and vote him in right now. But you trying to teach them that you have to do things decently and in order. And, uh, and so you pray for, for community, pray for Andrew, pray for uh, what is going on here at Open Door, because we are supposed to... Occupy till he comes. We take what God has given us. And we serve him with what he's given us. I don't want to be that guy that says, Well, Lord, you gave us, you gave us your grace and your Bible and here it is. It did nothing for me. That's what that last servant was saying. That's why he was cast into outer darkness because... If you're going to do something with God's grace, it changes you. It changes the way you live. It changes what you do. It cha- You've got to surrender to the grace of God. And how you do that is start right where you are. If you're not saved, get saved. If you're saved, not baptized, get baptized. If you're saved and baptized, you ought to be serving in the church. If you're serving in the church... You ought to be reading your Bible and learning and being involved in every service so you can serve the Lord more. And we need to pray for one another. 
We have a lot of things going on in different people's lives. And I will tell you, it would really be wonderful if the Lord answered some of those prayers. And we'll talk about these things in a moment that would give people, members of our church, more freedom to serve the Lord. Give us more freedom to do things. And so, that is the parable of the pounds. Let's just take a moment. If you would like to pray in your seat or come down to the altar, we'll take a moment of silence and then we'll get into our, our prayer time.